One summer evening, a mom was tucking her young son into bed and, and raging outside was a, 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 just a huge, violent thunderstorm. As she got up to leave the room, she, he called out after her and he said, Mommy, would you sleep with me tonight? Mommy smiled and she went back and sat on the edge of his bed and leaned over, gave him a kiss on the cheek and said, I'm sorry, honey, I need to sleep with your daddy tonight. She got up to leave the room a second time. She heard her son roll over in bed and then she clearly heard him say out loud, the big sissy. Ever since childhood, we have longed for someone to be close to, especially during the storms of life, right? We need somebody to be connected to. We long to belong to, to people in those deep, deep ways. But too often, people look for that in all the wrong places. Some of you know the name Monty Roberts. Monty is the one who, is inspired, who inspired the movie The Horse Whisperer. He worked with horses, and, and people came to know what he was doing. And that, that movie, The Horse Whisperer, was made uh, describing what he had done. And during his 60 Minutes interview, he revealed to the world his secret of horse whispering. It involves Monty getting inside the corral with these wild, untamed Mustangs and staying as far away from them as he possibly can while still staying inside the enclosure. Monty would refuse to make eye contact with the horse. and He would steadily, slowly move away from the horse. The horse would be pounding the earth with his hoof. He would be snorting. He would be racing around the corral at a very fast speed. And Monty would refuse to make eye contact with him. He would move slowly and steadily away from them. And as he did, he was drawing the horse to himself. When Monty was asked the, the secret of his horse whispering, he said, that horse longs to be with others so much that he would rather befriend an enemy than be left alone. Monty, as, as amazing as it sounds, could have that horse saddled and carrying a rider quite happily within just a short period of time. See, people are, are like that as well. Sometimes people will befriend even the enemy of their soul rather than be left alone. In that search for, for fellowship and joy, in that search for companionship, in, in that search for intimacy, they will do even things that are self-destructive. They will do things. They will, in the search for intimacy, they will go to the bar. In the search for intimacy, they will go to internet pornography. In search for intimacy, they will go in and endure even a bad relationship. But there's a better way. There's a better way than that. And the Bible shows it to us. And if, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite you to open up to 1 John chapter 1. Where the Bible shows us that better way to intimacy. We're beginning a new sermon series this morning. We're calling it The Power of Love. This summer, we are going to be studying the book of 1 John. It's, it's an amazing book that we're going to learn so much from. John is writing this letter to a group of people that he dearly loves. It's a group of churches in the Ephesus area, in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. And John is writing this to these people that he loves, it's, it, churches that he has helped plant and nurture. But he's not with them right now, and, and he's, heard, he's heard about challenges that they're facing. He writes this letter in response to those challenges, and he paints a picture of what healthy life together looks like for them. 
I think sometimes we romanticize that early church. We picture those churches that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle John and others have planted as, as doing great, healthy, and thriving. I mean, the church is growing tremendously at this time. It's spreading throughout that known world. They couldn't be facing challenges, could they? And yet they are. They are facing challenges, external challenges, from the, word, from the, the Roman world around them. A Roman world that was often very hostile towards Christianity. They're also facing challenges internally. Challenges caused by a leadership and mission that wasn't on target. And challenges by church members who had deep conflicts with each other. Conflicts caused by church splits. And conflicts caused by bad theology being taught by people who were infiltrating that church. In response to what he's heard about these challenges that they're facing, John writes this letter to them. And he provides them some instruction in the areas of handling conflict. What true faith looks like. Christian conduct and what godly love looks like. John's repeated emphasis on love in this book points out the power of love in the life of a church. And this is powerful teaching for that first century church. And as we go through it this summer, this is going to be powerful teaching for this 21st century church. So I want us to read our, our passage together this morning. 1 John chapter 1, I'm going to begin reading at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared and we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. John is writing this letter, and these are his opening words, uh, kind of setting the stage for where we're going this summer. He's writing it to these churches that are going through challenges, and he instructs them to find joy and fellowship in the word of life, to find the delight of intimacy in a relationship with Christ, to find uh, the pleasure of companionship with him. John is writing some important words in this passage, and he, he reminds those people that this is where he, the one writing these letters, along with his friends, have found these things. Now, these are rugged fishermen. They are used to the hard life of the sea. They aren't sissies. They, they live that hard life. They work hard to earn that living. They endure those storms that rise up on the Sea of Galilee from time to time. Their life isn't easy. In fact, John and his brother James were actually nicknamed the Sons of Thunder, not because they were nice, easygoing guys. No, they were called this. Remember, they were the ones who wanted to call fire down from heaven on that town that had rejected Jesus. No, they weren't sissies in any sense of the word, and yet John tells us that he found the joy of companionship in a relationship with Jesus. I picture that they had a, a lot of fun together. You see, they had experienced God in the flesh. They had seen him with their own eyes. They had heard him with their own ears. They had touched him with their own hands. They weren't making this stuff up. Jesus is as real as you and me. Rick Madsen, in his book, Faith is Like Skydiving, 
illustrates the reliability of the gospel accounts of Jesus' life and resurrection by drawing a continuum on a, an easel pad. And he labels one pole 0% and the other pole 100%. And then he asks people to imagine four friends named Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John attending a sporting event together and, and afterwards writing about what they had experienced. Now, if there are accounts of that sporting event were uh, about 0% in harmony with one another, we would figure that they had gotten their wires crossed and had attended four different sporting events. Maybe Mark went to a baseball game. Maybe Matthew went to a football game. And Luke and John went to some other sporting events. But if their accounts were 100% in harmony with each other, 100% verbatim, we would be skeptical, I think. We would think that perhaps afterwards they had huddled up in a room somewhere to fabricate a single harmonized account of what they saw. But what if their accounts were the 70% range, where the broad contours of, of what they were reporting were the same, even if uh, the, some of the details were different? Maybe Mark report was, was shortest and most selective in what he reported. Maybe Matthew's was longer and, and best organized. Maybe Luke focused in on some of the underrated players and, and even told about a fan who got hit by a foul ball. Maybe John's was the most philosophical, talking about the beauty of the game of baseball. What if, if their accounts were, were very similar, even if some of the details were different? What if, if they all told the story that the Dodgers beat the Angels 8-4, to four, that the game was played at Dodger Stadium, that there were certain players who, who played well and certain players who played poorly. But that there was one hero of the game, Mookie Betts, who, who drove in all the Dodgers' runs and capped off a, a come-from-behind victory by hitting a grand slam in the bottom of the ninth inning. I think that we would feel confident that the game had actually happened the way it was described. That's what we see in the gospel accounts of Jesus' life, Right? We have four eyewitnesses telling the same amazing story from four different points of view. They had all experienced Jesus in the flesh and blood. They all had walked with him and talked with him. They had told the, basically the same story, but from four different points of view. You see, there was a, a rumor that had begun circulating in that first and second century that Jesus wasn't an actual human being. You see, he was such an amazing person that they began to, to spread this rumor that he was just a spirit being, that he appeared to have a body. But in our passage today, John says, no, we saw him, we heard him, we touched him. Jesus is just as real as you and me. Jesus is God in the flesh. Today, there are people who say that the historical Jesus isn't all that important. It's not all that important if Jesus actually did all those miracles. It's not actually all that important whether he really died and rose again. It's not actually that important if he really existed. They say that what's really important are the ideas that he taught. John would say that there's nothing further from the truth, that Jesus is more than just a nice idea, that he is God in the flesh. He is a real person who had a, a real impact on everybody that he came in contact with. See, John and his friends had experienced flesh and blood Jesus. They also experienced Jesus as the word of life, right? Jesus was God himself, logos in the original, which means word. 
It's a, a title that the Greeks gave to what they called the, the controlling reason for the universe. Jesus was God himself. He was the word. But he's more than that because he's the word of life. Jesus brought life everywhere he went. Do you know that Jesus broke up every funeral he ever attended? He kept raising the corpses back to life. In Luke chapter 7, we see that he raised the widow's son. In John chapter 11, we see he raised his best friend Lazarus back from the dead. And, and Jesus even raised himself back to life. Jesus really and truly is the word of life. He is the life. That's what John is getting at in, in verse 2 when he says, the life, the life, Jesus, the life appeared. Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and, and have it abundantly. Those of us who lived through it will never forget September 11, 2001, when those three infamous planes crashed into those buildings. Isaac Hoopy was a Pentagon officer who was working at the Pentagon that day. He was stationed outside of the, the building when the plane crashed into it, and he quickly went into motion, helping people who were straggling out of the building, carrying people to safety. But then he realized he needed to do more. If there were people trapped inside that he needed to get to, and he began to run to the entrance to try to save people. Somebody called out after him, you can't go in there, it's not safe. He called back, we got to get those people out of there. He entered into that smoke, smoky, dusty building and began to call out, is anyone there? Is anyone there? He's hearing the building crackling, and then he hears the voices Wayne Sinclair and five of his co-workers have been crawling through the, the debris, trying to find their way to the exit, but they, they've become disoriented. They don't even know which way to, to head. They call out to, to Isaac, and Isaac calls back, head towards my voice, head towards my voice. And as they did, they were able to make it to the exit. They were able to make it to safety. Isaac's words to those people were literally words of life, Right? In the same way, Jesus himself is the word of life. He is the only way to life. He is the only way to eternal and abundant life, a life that begins the moment that you say yes to Jesus and entrust him with your life. John and his friends have experienced that life. They experienced the real flesh and blood Jesus in that life-changing encounter. And they want us to experience Jesus in the same way. That's what John is getting at in verse 3 when he says, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. That word fellowship means to share things in common. John wants us to have that same fellowship, that same life-changing experience with Jesus that he had powerful scene in the movie Jurassic Park where that world-class uh, paleontologist Alan Grant comes face to face with a real-life dinosaur. Alan Grant has devoted his whole life to the study of dinosaurs, but when he comes face to face with a real one, he drops to his knees dumbstruck. You see, there's a difference between reading about dinosaurs in a book, right? Between going through artifacts and fossils of dinosaurs, imagining dinosaurs in your brain, there's a difference between that and seeing a real live dinosaur face to face. Sadly to say, 
For some people, their Christianity is limited to going through the artifacts of a, a faith from long ago and far away. It's limited to, to reading about Jesus, to wearing a cross, and to wondering what it must have been like to live when he did. Friends, don't limit your faith to that. If you want to have joy and fellowship, if you want to have the delight of intimate, intimate relationship with Christ, if you want to have the pleasure of companionship, then you must experience Christ personally. By faith, see and hear and touch the God who is real. Don't just know about him. Get to know him personally. Get to know the God who is real, the one who wants to walk with you. Invite him into your life. Spend time in his word. Allow him to become your closest friend. Invite him to, to change you from the inside out. In James chapter 4, it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Don't confuse religious activity with a real relationship with God. Don't confuse knowledge with relationship. I brought something along this morning to help me illustrate this. Most of you are familiar with what I've got here. It's a box of Krispy Kreme donuts. Now, Krispy Kreme are not just ordinary donuts. Now, eating a, a Krispy Kreme donut is a spiritual experience. We've had Krispy Kreme donuts here in L.A. for about 23 years, but Krispy Kreme began in Winston-Salem, North Carolina in 1937. They've had Krispy Kreme on the East Coast a lot longer than we have here. Krispy Kreme has a slogan. It's, it's guaranteed freshness. And they make a promise to their customers. They say, our promise is to make the best-tasting, highest-quality foods because that's what you expect and deserve and that's what we expect of ourselves. Isn't that just beautiful? Doesn't that just make you want to run out to Krispy Kreme this morning and grab a box? Now, Krispy Kreme is, is different. It's, it's new. It's not Winchell's. It's not Dunkin' Donuts. It's not whatever other kind of donuts that you might have. This is a new experience. And Krispy Kreme has a, a sign in its window. Every store has a sign that says, Hot Donuts Now. And you can see that sign from a long distance because it's a neon sign. And whenever you see that sign, you just pull on in because you know something great is going to happen. You might have been headed somewhere else. You might have been headed to, to the ER, and you see that sign. You just pull in because you know something great is going to happen when you do that. Now, Krispy Kreme donuts are made on an assembly line, and at most Krispy Kreme stores, you can watch the assembly line through the glass. And part of this process is a breathing process. It's that breathing that changes an ordinary donut into a, a cream. No other donut does that. See, they, they cut out the dough, they place it on a conveyor belt before they fry it so that it can breathe. It's something that no other donut does. And then they put ungodly amounts of sugar on it, and then they put them flat in a box because you can't stack hot donuts. It's helpful for me because I'm usually going through drive-through at Krispy Kreme and this basically on the passenger seat so I can eat while I'm driving. Krispy Kremes are amazing and I would recommend them to anybody. The thing is, I'm sure that Krispy Kreme would be excited to know that I'm going on and on about their donuts here this morning. But I doubt that they get excited about the fact that I know their slogan or that I know their promise, or that I know when and where their company began. See, the thing that would make Krispy Kreme excited 
is if I get one of these in my hands and I put it in my mouth and I take a bite and I chew it and I swallow it. Krispy Kreme donuts weren't meant to be talked about. Krispy Kreme donuts were meant to be experienced. There's a tremendous difference between information and experience. And experiencing God is what faith is supposed to be about. You see, that's the kind of relationship that God invites each one of us into. He invites us to talk with him. He invites us to make him our closest friend. To be aware of his presence every moment of every day. To consult him with every decision that we make in that day. That when we see a, a beautiful sunrise, that we stop and say, thank you, Lord, for the sunrise. And when we have a problem, we ask him to help us through that problem. In a word, God invites us to, to walk with him and, and to have that intimate relationship with him. The thing is, after we experience that, after we experience that relationship with him, don't keep it to yourself. Because we're called then to share him with others. To tell others about that experience so that they can join in with the fun. To share with them so that they might experience that same fellowship with him. That's what John is writing about in our passage. In verse 2 he says, we proclaim to you the eternal life. Verse 3, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard. Verse 4, we are writing this to make our joy complete. There's nothing greater in a relationship, an experience in a relationship with Jesus Christ. But something that's even greater than that is to share that relationship with someone else. John and his friends found great joy in knowing Jesus personally. They found great joy in seeing and hearing and touching him. And they wanted to make their joy complete. They wanted to make their joy fuller. How do you do that? By sharing him with others. This past year was a great year for L.A. sports fans. Both the Dodgers and the Lakers won the championship. And, and when that happened, there were a lot of people around here who were very happy, very excited. But you know what made them even happier? Being able to relive that experience with their friends by telling others the good news, right? See, there's joy in the victory, but there's even greater joy in sharing the victory, and in that same way, there is great joy in having a relationship with Jesus Christ and, and having that experience of a relationship with him, but there's even greater joy in sharing him with others. There's nothing better than, than sharing him with others and seeing them respond by putting their faith and their trust in him. There's no greater thrill. It is my great prayer that each one of us would experience that, not just once, but several times in our lifetime. There was a college student by the name of Angie. She was traveling on a plane from Chicago to Lincoln, Nebraska. And she was sitting next to a 19-year-old Saudi Arabian guy by the name of Ali. And they started talking, and she discovered that he was headed to the University of Nebraska where he was going to go to school. She discovered that this was his first time in the United States. And, and she started talking to him about what it was like to be so far away from home for the very first time. She asked him what he knew about American culture, and it's at that point that she revealed to him that she was a follower of Jesus, and she asked him what his spiritual background was. He, she told him that 
he'd probably come across several Christians in Nebraska, and it might be a good idea to know a little bit of where they're coming from. So she pulled out a, a Four Spiritual Laws booklet and walked through it point by point with him. They talked a little bit afterwards, and then she went back to reading her book. And he went back to reading the Four Spiritual Laws booklet, point by point, cover to cover again. Angie said this, I could hardly concentrate. I was so excited. I prayed for him as he was reading, thankful that God is the one who works, convicting people of their need for him. After he finished reading, he, she asked him what he thought, and he said it was very interesting. As the plane was coming in for a landing, she said that she would be praying for him, and, and then she became convicted that she should pray with him right then. Now, this was scary for her. What would this Muslim say to this suggestion? But she went ahead, she asked if she could pray with him, and immediately he said yes. As they got to the baggage claim after deplaning, she uh, met his cousin who was there to pick him up at the airport, and she invited both of them to attend an American cultural event with her. That event, Christmas Eve service at her church. Angie writes this, this is why I love being a Christian. It's heart-pounding scary at times, and it's exhilarating when I see someone that I know Jesus wants to come to him, and I have the choice to step out in faith or to stay in security. That's the joy of knowing Christ. It is heart-pounding scary at times, but it's exhilarating when we step out in faith. Do you want to really live? Do you want to really live? Then find fellowship and joy through the word of life. Find the delight of intimacy in a relationship with Christ. Find the pleasure of companionship in him. First, by faith, experience Christ personally. And then, share him with others. I love the way a, a pastor by the name of Rick Hansen, he's a pastor in Central California, the way he puts it, he says that the reality of God in our world is like gently falling rain. And we each have a, a bowl. We have a bowl in our hearts and our minds that we can just hold out to capture that reality, to capture the reality of him in our life. But it makes all the difference whether that bowl is facing upwards or if it's facing downwards. Friends, by faith, hold that bowl out upwards so that you can catch all that God has for you today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the reality of your presence in our lives. Thank you for the reality of your great love for us and your great desire for us. Thank you that you desire to walk with us and that you invite us to walk with you. That we might experience you as John did that we might see you and, and hear you and even touch you by faith. Lord, as we have those experiences, as we, we see your reality in this world through, through a sunrise and through the smile of a friend, through the, the birth of a child, may we not keep it to ourselves. May we instead share it with others that they might join in the joy, that they might experience you as well. Because, Lord, that is what brings you joy. And that is the greatest joy in the world that we could ever experience. So in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.